Good morning. All right. Um, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. This week we're going to be looking at verses 7 through to 10. And would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 7 through to 10 reads, Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has approved or has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let no oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in sure to which you are going. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for what we've experienced so far. The conversations, um, the, the, the singing that reminded us of how much how awesome you are and how gracious and how Jesus is better. And God, thank you for the announcements that reminded us of what you are doing, God, and what you've done. And so, God, as we pause to study and dive deep into your scriptures, God, I pray that as I always, God, I pray that whatever I say would be inspired by you, God, and God, May you speak and inspire and encourage and comfort outside, even outside of what I'm going to say. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. From the very beginning, beginning, beginning of this book, Ecclesiastes, the preacher, who is the author has been on mission to prove to his readers that life here on earth is what? Vain. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. These are the opening words of the preacher of Ecclesiastes. And after these opening words... The rest of the book is filled with brilliant, relentless, haunting, shocking, almost nihilistic versions on this theme. The Hebrew word translated vanity is hevel. Hevel is a Hebrew word that means smoke or vapor. And so by comparing life to smoke, the preacher wants us to see just how fleeting and futile life is. 
We're here today, gone tomorrow, and there's no guarantee our plans and our desires will come to fruition. The preacher is not a cynic. He's not a pessimist or a nihilist. He might come across that way, but I think he's a realist. And because he's a realist, what he's doing is that he is giving voice to the way things are rather than how we want them to be. He has an accurate, accurate view of what life is like here on earth, and so his purpose for writing this piece of literature is to help us see that life here under the sun is vain, is meaningless. And let's be honest, if we can be honest, right, his description of life, as we know it, is spot on. Life is meaningless because nothing in this life can truly satisfy. No amount of money or success or accolades can bring lasting happiness. Life is meaningless because a high IQ or intellectual prowess may help you with some things in life, but it's not enough to solve global problems. Life is meaningless because the disease of injustice, the abuse of power and social ills continue to plague mankind and dominate headlines. Life is meaningless because death is a certainty for all. All right? Death doesn't take into consideration who you are. Your age, reputation, or social status, death doesn't care and consider that. Death is the great equalizer. Everyone is susceptible to death. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Life is meaningless. And so the question we have to then ask is, how then shall we live? If all is vanity... If life is meaningless, how then shall we live? The preacher, as always, has an opinion, and I think a pretty good one as well. And this may come as a surprise to many of you if you've been with us through the study of Ecclesiastes. His um, suggestion on how we should live life in light of how vain and meaningless life is he recommends that we enjoy ourselves. We enjoy life. All right? Look at verse 7 to 10 again. It says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in sure to which you are going. And these verses are incredibly encouraging. They are surprising. Because you wouldn't expect something like this, but this is not the first time we've been encouraged by the preacher to enjoy life. Previously, um, he said something similar. He's encouraged us to enjoy life. 
And so with these words, the same preacher who said all is vanity also commands us to enjoy the good gifts of life. And I say command because the word go is not a, you know, if you want to kind of think. It's a command. He is urging us to enjoy the good things in life. In verse 7, he strongly encourages us to savor every bite of a meal and find pleasure, pleasure in every sip from a glass of wine. The preacher tells us in verse 8 to wear white clothes and to make sure our heads are covered with oil. In the ancient Near East, white clothes were reserved for special occasions like weddings and birthdays and festivals and celebrations. In fact, Philip Riken says this about this particular um, uh, verse 8. He says, the preacher is basically telling us um, to, um, um, to put on a tuxedo, an evening gown, so we can dance the night away. In verse 9, um, the preacher instructs husbands to enjoy life with their wife. Um, by saying this, the preacher is encouraging the daily pleasures of uh, marriage and family life. And all the men in here said what? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Come on, guys. And in verse 10... He exhorts us to take pleasure in our jobs and careers and vocations because there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the afterlife. We live in a dark and messed up world, yet even in the midst of it, the preacher is saying, look, I know life is hard, but the best response is not self-pity or to isolate yourself but the best response is to enjoy the good things in life. Joshua Bremerman says, Ecclesiastes does not push the depressed over the edge, but rather gives the frustrated a foothold of joy in our puzzling world. And so the preacher is inviting us to enjoy the good things in life like food, festivities, relationships, and work. But the interesting thing about all of this is the command can be complicated and confusing. And this is because there's a part of us that wants to obey it, but another part does not. This is what I mean by what I just said. In a room of this size, okay, most of you are professing Christians. In a room of this size, it's highly likely that some of you are not sure how to love God above all things and at the same time delight in created things. Let me say that again. In a room of this size, majority Christians, it's highly likely that some of you are not sure how to love God with all your heart above everything else and at the same time enjoy created things. Because of this tension, 
Some of you are living with an ongoing feeling that you're not enjoying God enough or that you're enjoying his gifts too much. Oh, this ice cream and apple pie is so good. Oh, but I don't want to enjoy it too much. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Because of this tension, some of you have been viewing created things with a weary and skeptical eye because you wonder whether they're too precious to you. I love my wife. I can't wait to be with her and see her. But, but, but wait, am I loving my wife too much? Am I loving my wife more than Jesus? Because of this tension, some of you may be living with a low-grade guilt every time you're intimate with your spouse or wrestle with your kids or sip on your favorite cup of coffee. And so, how does the foundational biblical truth that you are called to glorify God by delighting in him above everything else relate to your enjoyment of relationships, acybos, sports, art, the ocean, coffee, and pokeballs. <laughs> How can we love God above all things and at the same time delight in created things? This is the question we're going to begin exploring this morning, all right? So if you're making notes, we can love God above all things and at the same time delight in created things by firstly recognizing that good things are gifts from God for our enjoyment. Good things are gifts from God for our enjoyment. Okay? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And following this famous sentence is an overview of what God actually created. And when he created it, God made everything we see, taste, smell, hear, and touch. Um, He made flowers and butterflies and birds and fish and stars and mountains and waterfalls and the oceans and coastlines. God made everything we see, taste, smell, hear, and touch. And the awesome thing is God made everything out of nothing. And he did it by speaking into existence everything that has come to be. After creating the heavens and the earth, God made the crowning jewel of all of his creation. Man and woman, the Bible describes human beings as uniquely different from everything else that God created. Bible scholar Bruce Ware says, Greater than the stars, the moon, the mountain ranges, the oceans, or anything else is man. Human beings who have been made to display more of what God is like than anything else does in all of creation. After God put the finishing touches on the masterpiece that is creation, Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 says this, all right? 
God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. The maker of heaven and earth, after he had created all of these magnificent things, sits back, looks at his handiwork, and says, this is awesome. He was pleased with everything that he had created. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And when we think about creation, when we think about everything that God has created, one of the cool things about creation is that God created all of these things for us as humans to enjoy. You don't believe me? Look at, look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord com God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when you eat from it, you will certainly die. There's a lot going on here, but one of the things I want to pick out is that basically when God was done with creation and said it was good, um, he says to Adam, look at all of these beautiful trees. Look at all of these plant plants. They're not just aesthetically pleasing, like a surf shop, but he, these are food for you to eat and to enjoy and be satisfied in. I really like Joe Rigney. He's a pastor, author. I love how he comments on these verses. He says, there is, there is one no in this world full of yeses. God created all of these things for his glory, but he created them for us to enjoy. And so the question I have for you is, what are some of the things you enjoy? What are some of the things that spark joy in your heart? The four colors, steady crushing of waves on the shoreline, the scent of a home-cooked meal, the bittersweet taste of herbs, the warm comfort of a hug. What are some of the things that you enjoy? And so, whatever good thing you enjoy, think about this this way. This is a gift from God to you for you to enjoy. God filled the world with maple syrup, the Grand Canyon, BBQ ribs, the tropical rainforest, and all other pleasures and delights for you to enjoy. God is pleased when you take pleasure in what he's given us to enjoy. And as a father, I can relate to this, all right? I can relate to this. I am filled with joy. Every time I see my kids enjoying something I've given them, um, it makes me happy when I see my son Jesse wearing the jersey of my favorite soccer team 
All right? It makes me happy. It makes me happy when my girls can't wait to get home and practice their gymnastics on the equipment we've gifted them, right? It's so much. I remember um, one Christmas, and this was the most exciting gift they got. We got them a Nintendo Switch thing, their first ever game console, and I remember them opening it and revealing what it was, and they went ballistic. They were like, oh my gosh, we can't believe, and as a father, with Ellen and my wife, I stood back, and I was so, I took pleasure in seeing them excited about these gifts. What we love as we give is the pleasure on the face of the one who receives it. And God is no different. In case you missed it, the second half of verse 7 affirms this. Look at, look at verse 7 again, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Put simply, God is pleased when we take pleasure in what he's given us to enjoy. And let me just say, this all comes with some qualifiers, all right? <laughs> comes with all qualifiers. There are um, things that God has given us, and we need to enjoy them in moderation and with boundaries, okay? So don't hear me saying, just go eat as much. Go and, I'm not saying go and overeat, go and drink. And, no, I'm saying that there is wisdom and we need to experience and enjoy what God has given us with moderation and with boundaries. But the truth is the good things God has given us are gifts for us to enjoy. They really are. But as we enjoy God's gifts, um, it's important for us to be aware of something. And that thing is something that has the potential to threaten what we enjoy. And this is what I want us to turn to next. And so we've seen that good things are gifts from God for our joy. What I want us to see next is that good things become bad things when they become God things. All right? It's a bit of a mouthful, but it should be simple. All right? We're going to see that we can love God above all things and at the same time delight in created things by secondly recognizing that good things become bad things when they become God things. Okay? Idolatry is when good things become God things. Idolatry is when we worship created things over and above the creator God. Basically, idols are more than statues in temples, but an idol is anything or anyone we put above God. Tim Keller, who is so artful in articulating what an idol is, says this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Put simply, 
idols can be anything we put above God. A spouse or a child or someone we really love can be an idol. Entertainment, security, approval, success, wealth, health, food, intellect, all of these things and any created thing can become an idol if we put them above God. And there are many consequences of idolatry, but one of the most severe consequence of idolatry is this, that idolatry makes good things less enjoyable. Idolatry makes good things less enjoyable. In the created world, you can only truly enjoy what you do not worship. When we exalt created things, including ourselves, above God, they lose their ability to satisfy us the way God originally intended. The young woman, for example, who makes marriage her God, will discover that when she gets married, marriage will fail her because marriage will not give her what only God can give her, and so she'll be left empty and unfulfilled. The man who makes career, his God, for example, will gain that promotion, will find that success, but at the end of the day, when he gets that promotion and gets to where he, he, he really wanted to be, he wants more. It just never stops. The man who makes sex his God and who worships it discovers that what is normal, pleasurable, soon becomes inadequate, leading him to perverse lifestyle that does not bring joy but agony. Parents, replace God with your kids and you'll soon discover that they'll fail you and fall short of achieving all that you wanted them to achieve. Worship the natural beauty of San Diego, right? San Diego is amazing. It's just so beautiful. But if you seek to worship the natural beauty of San Diego, you'll soon discover that San Diego is a broken city. And you will be left disappointed. To idolize a good thing is to look to it for what only God can give you. And when you do, you'll always be left bitterly disappointed. A good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a God thing. C.S. Lewis says this, Natural loves that are allowed to um, become gods do not remain loves. They are still called so, but can become, in fact, complicated forms of hatred. That's so profound. We are all prone to wonder, even as Christians. We're all prone to forget the giver and fixate solely on the gift. Idolatry is a threat to our enjoyment. Good things become bad things when they become God things. And so... Who or what are you idolizing? We're all prone to this. The question is not if, is like what are you idolizing? Who or what is absorbing your heart and imagination more than God? 
Who or what are you seeking to give you what only God can give you? Good things exist for our enjoyment, but, but not as replacements for God. In fact, if we enjoy good things without making, them, without making them God things, we'll come to know this, that good things actually exist to make Jesus better. And this is what we're going to look at next. All right? So we've seen good things are gifts from God to us. Number two, we saw good things become bad things when they become God things. And lastly, we can love God above all things and at the same time delight in created things by thirdly recognizing that good things exist to make Jesus better. Good things exist to make Jesus better. All right? And so, so far we've covered the truths that God created all things for us to enjoy. But the interesting thing is we all have a tendency and an ongoing impulse to make good things God things. And because of this, we shouldn't be discouraged in our pursuit and enjoyment of good things. Instead, as Charles Simeon famously said, we're to enjoy God in everything and everything in God. I love that we're to enjoy God in everything and everything in God. Joe, Joe Rigney kind of clarifies and, and unpacks this a bit more. He says, because God's goodness is really present in his gifts, we are free to enjoy them deeply for his sake. God's gifts, God's gifts um, become avenues for enjoying him beams of glory that we chase um, back to the source. In other words, everything God has made is an invitation to know and delight in him. For example, to be in awe of the ocean is to be in awe of God, not because the ocean is God, but because the greatness of the ocean is one of the best ways God communicates his greatness to us. All right, we're getting quite deep now, right? We're, we're, we're about to conclude, so stick with me, okay? Stick with me. Let's start with this quote by John Piper. Of all the possible ways that God could have revealed the fullness and diversity of the supreme value of his being, he concluded that a physical world would be the best, the material creation was not God's way of saying to humankind, I'm not enough for you. It was his way of saying, here is the best garden where more of what I am can be revealed to finite creatures. The juiciness of a peach and the sweetness of honey are a communication of himself. Creation doesn't only reveal more of who God is to us, but created things also exist to make Jesus better. And so the big question is, how can good things on earth make Jesus better? How can we enjoy all the goodness of this earth, but at the same time know and believe deep in our hearts that Jesus is better. 
Let me try and explain this using this illustration by Joe Rigney, okay? For example, there are two ways you can view a pumpkin crunch cake. Two ways you can enjoy pumpkin crunch cake, okay? First, you can say, I love pumpkin crunch cake, but Jesus is better. So maybe I shouldn't love the sweet pumpkin filling and the crispy cake topping and the crunchy pecans scattered throughout all of this. Perhaps I should even mix in a little vinegar to spoil and weaken the taste. Maybe I should suppress my satisfaction in the cake so that it doesn't compete with my satisfaction in God. Who can relate? That's one way of responding to the cake. The second is this. This cake is unbelievably good. And it's just a fleeting taste of the fullness of joy that Jesus offers. As I eat it, I want to do so in such a way that I also taste and see that the Lord is good. And so... Do you see the difference? Okay, do you see the difference? In the first example, we seek to make Jesus better by making creation worse. But in the second, we seek to let creation be grand only to remind ourselves that we have not yet began to experience true greatness. In the first, we make creation stoop so that Jesus stands tall. In the second, we let creation rise to its full height, reaching for the skies with all its towering pleasures, only to then confess from the low-down bottom of our heart that I has not seen ear has not heard, the heart of man has not imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. See the difference? Joe Rigney again helps us here. He says, if I'm relating to God properly, and I realize that for many this is a very big if, that is, if I know in my bones that Christ is the Alpha and Omega of all joy and delight, then I need not fear the lesser pleasures. Let them erupt. Let them soar as high as they can, for when they do, they carry my joy in God with them. Good things exist to make Jesus better because no matter how enjoyable something is, it just cannot come close to the joy that is found in him. The magnificence of the universe, the breathtaking sights and sounds of earth and the vast array of living creatures all exist to make Jesus better because... Jesus is more than a Jewish carpenter who became a rabbi and gained a following. But Colossians, for example, chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was actually God in human flesh. 
and that all things have been created through him and for him. All right? And so you look at creation. You look at how amazing and beautiful and grand things are. And you need to also think that Jesus is better because he's the one that created it. And this week, my wife and I went to um, the immersion experience of Van Gogh. You guys say Van Gogh, but it should be Van Gogh, right? Van Gogh. And it was in Del Mar. And the experience actually puts you in a room where all of his art is being displayed um, to your, on every wall and on every floor. It's an amazing experience, all right? And we are there and we are plunged within the art and the mind of this man. And I was there thinking to myself, everything he's created, this guy, this artist, is incredible, And I am in awe of what he's done. I really am. But if Van Gogh was to come alive and walk in the room, I am sure all of our attention would move from his artwork to him as a person. And so in the same way, when we are blown away by the magnificence of creation. It should remind us that Jesus is better because Jesus is the creator of all of these things. Think of the best life you could possibly live, okay? Think of your ideal location. Think of um, um, the people that you would want to live with um, think of um, you know having um, uh, the best health and having abundance of um, resources. Think of the best life you can possibly live, and also think of this: that the truth is, the best life that you could possibly live makes Jesus better. Because through his death and resurrection, he offers a life way more fulfilling than the best life you can have here on earth. Above all, Jesus is better than everything and everyone because he's the only one that has and can provide us with forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Your favorite home-cooked meal, your most memorable meal, the sweetness of honey, the juiciness of fruit, the most mouth-watering dessert, all makes Jesus better because every meal you enjoy is a foretaste and an appetizer for the banquet to come. This is not our home. And it's amazing to know that God has installed certain things here on earth for the purpose for the purpose like bread exists think about this bread exists not as and sorry if you're like gluten-free and everything, and I know this doesn't apply to you, but anyway, bread does does exist. Okay, God brought about the wheat and the ingredients and gave man wisdom in order to to, to come up with the product of bread. 
so that we may understand and know better what Jesus means when he says, I'm the bread of life. That's the point of bread. If we believe this thing, that's this crazy, isn't it? Honey, if you read scripture and it connects created things with what God is like and what God is like to create things, all of these things that we see and enjoy are for us to recognize that Jesus is better. Whatever good thing you enjoy makes Jesus better because if you compare it with Jesus, put it next to Jesus, you'll find that Jesus is infinitely better. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, listen to what Paul says. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Those without Christ are often occupied with the things of this earth because as far as they're concerned, this is it. This is all I have. But if you are here and you are a Christian, you cherish and you enjoy good things in life because it's a foretaste and an appetizer of what we'll be doing for eternity. And that is enjoying God forever and feasting with him. And so this morning, we've been reminded of several truths. We've been reminded that we can love God above all things and at the same time delight in creative things by thirdly, by by, sorry, recognizing that good things are gifts from God to us. Number two, good things become bad things when they become good um, God things. And number three, good things exist to make Jesus better. This is just the beginning of us exploring how we can live in this tension of loving God with all of our hearts and at the same time delighting and taking pleasure in everything he's created for us. So it's going to be a fun week in our community groups. And if you're not in a community group, I hope this is an incentive for you to get plugged in. Let's pray. God, thank you so much again for reminding us of these truths. God, thank you. There were people in here, God, I know for sure, who lived with a low-grade guilt when it comes to enjoying things. And so, God, for them, remind them that the good gifts, the good things in this life are gifts from you to them for them to enjoy. And God, as we enjoy your gifts, many things you've given us yeah god i pray that they would lead us and inspire us to see that jesus is better and as we dwell deeply in him may we fall more and more in love with him 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.